Welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast, the most influential and listened to podcast in auto detailing. Welcome to the community. Hi, welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast. I'm Marshall. That's Nick. You can find us at the HyperClean Specialist Group on Facebook. Best place to go interact and well, we have a lot of fun there. All right, let's get into some buy and sell. Why don't you go ahead and start us while I pour myself a nice Corona Premier? Oh, keeping it light for the new year, huh? Keeping it light. Might have had new a little year, too- new you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to uh, buy this week. Uh, one of the great joys in sports, I think, is to see all of the internet experts when a team loses or wins or doesn't do well. And you already have a bunch of jobs opening in the NFL, a bunch of people getting fired today. Have you ever seen something so weird that people don't put two and two together on than saying to fire a coach, which means all of his staff people are now out of jobs. They're basically rooting for like 20, 30, 40 people to get fired. And it's all over social media the last Sunday of the NFL season. And so, again, I'm talking about friends, family. I got some texts. I'm going, isn't it weird that you're a whatever it is that person may do for a living, but you're also an expert on how to coach a multi-billion dollar football team? Isn't it fascinating? Like, dude, it's it's one of my favorite pastimes. It's like, yeah, these guys making $10 million a year, they're all idiots, and you sitting at home, are the smart ones. So I had a lot of fun with that yesterday. I actually caught a little bit of NFL, not very much, but uh, yeah, I'm going to buy that. I think it's kind of a fun thing to watch how people root for 20, 30, 40 people to get clipped at a time. Yeah. Who's out? Uh, Kingsbury looks like that came across. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. but he wasn't the one that gave the contract to, to Kyler Murray. I mean, you know, he didn't make that decision. Uh, who else? They don't know if McVay's coming back. Looks like your yeah. boy at the Texans. They're on another head coach. It's going to be what four and four years. I, at some I point, think, it's not the, on the coach. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think. I mean, I didn't think the Dolphins would do it. Uh, you know, they had such a great start to the season. But geez, what seven? Oh no, losses? they love that. They love that guy. Oh so yeah, he's absolutely fired. fun to watch. But geez, seven straight losses. Like I just was starting to go. Whoa. Yeah, no, I, I I don't know who's all getting clipped, but I think there's already something like five openings or something. Whoa. I think they average like eight or nine a year, which is what, you, one third the league, basically. You send in your resume? No, no I, hey, there's some people on Facebook that absolutely <laughs> should be sending in a resume the way they talk. Like they know what the, like those dudes never hit anybody in their life and they're telling you, you know, what's going on on the offensive line and whatnot. It's hilarious, dude. I I actually find it entertaining. So it is a true buy for me because I think it's hilarious. All right. Well, you're buying, I'm selling. And I'm selling that all this different stuff that you want to put inside the interior is all good. Just give me just a plain color interior though. Once I'm down oh, to it, God. I just want a black interior or maybe a black and gray, but what's this absolute absurdness of people putting on brown interiors mixed with black? I mean, listen, let's just get one interior color. Let's just go back to the olden days where you got like one or two colors and that's just call it a day. That way, when you're picking out your car, there doesn't have to be any of this. Oh, well, I don't know if I like brown on my interior. Why can't we just do black? What well, do you have another color? I'm out. 
Just give me a black interior and put it all black. Just give me one color and I don't have to worry about it. I'm selling. I'm selling. I don't I know there's some cool some cool colors and some cool tones and there's there's all this where people can do this different types of tones but You were just celebrating the Mercedes two tone. Yep. You were just you were just you're done now? I'm done. Cuz you I'll can't get your house under control? Can't. How's that no. how's that the problem? Done. Dude. Look, accents on the interior are a win. They can go too far. I'm with you on that. But, you know, taking a car and putting a couple, you know, very, very dark brown accent, like camel color accents on a black car looks good. And again, I'll tell you the gentleman spec that you can get on a car is a Brewster green with like uh, uh, a camel interior. You know, at the end of the day, that's considered the gentleman spec. That's like the all time high end. This is the top of the top. So I got to tell you, man, I'm with you on the sell, but I got to sell your sell. At the end of the day, <laughs> you got to get your act together over there. And I don't know what cars you were looking at. I'm sure we'll get into that. But at the end of the day, no, nah, man, a really nice two-tone interior can be done really well. And it will always look better than just a single-tone interior. Now, I'm not saying there aren't bad ones out there. I'm just saying the proper two-tone interior looks great. All right, so speaking of cars, we were out hunting again. I am curious. There's a couple of little interesting things that I found out this weekend. Curious from you, Mr. All-Knowing Walters, what company developed the first heads-up display on the front windshield? Yeah, you know what? That's a good question. That's a great question. I, For everybody who doesn't know, heads-up display so it will show the what you know, your all the different stuff that you want to see speed or whatever. There, you there's can. a part of me and I'm trying to think back to when I was detailing at that wholesaler. And it was the first time I saw it. Part of me wants to believe it was Corvette. The first one I ever saw. That was me. Mine was a Corvette. It was an early nineties vet from a buddy Rogers, my guy that I know that his dad owned one. And I, I got in it once and I went, Wow. Oh. Yeah. And it was like those real blocky red letters. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I don't know if that was the company, but that would be my guess because that was my first one I ever saw. It was hard to see too, because it was way low and you always had to move yeah. around at an angle. It was very yeah. difficult. Actually, it wasn't the first design for air. You know, of course we know is all designed for airplanes. The first company taken into automotive 1988 Oldsmobile Cutlass. Oh huh. yeah. That makes Cutlass. Yep. 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 Yeah, wow, that was a big error on my part. Wow. Yeah, I do, I do, because they, I, they were probably one of the original digital dashes. Honestly, because you remember those, it had those big long, and then it had those big block numbers and those old Oldsmobiles. They could have been the first one with a real kind of like digitized. Uh, I think they were. Yeah, it had to be close. Yeah, that was yeah. a big mess. The one yeah. I remember was Corvette. So you mentioned that there's going to be some seasons going forward without some coaches, but imagine the season maybe next year without Aaron Rodgers. That's, that's what I heard. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, geez, after the season he had, I get it. And I guess that goes along with, because I've found it to be very interesting, looking at Nissans in particular, imagine a season next year without these two vehicles. To me, I thought they were massive staples to Nissan brand, what two models? Definitely one is completely gone automatic, and the next one is going to be wiped out. Do you know which which two? 
I mean, you can't tell me the Ultima is going to be knocked out. No, but it's the Maxima. And the Maxima it, was is officially knocked out. And they said it's because it just reached such a high price that people just went on and stepped up to, to something luxury, and it was caught in the middle. And the, the, the sales I can't even remember go, the last time I saw one. The salespeople there go, hey, we can't, even if we got one, we wouldn't even know when we would sell it. They just don't sell. And I said they're speechless going, a Maxima? Like those used to be hot, hot cars. Oh yeah. Those when they were square body. Yeah. I mean, those were, those were great cars back in the day. Nissan's been largely a rudderless brand for a while. You know, they made some crazy changes to Pathfinder that didn't really go along with what Pathfinder was. Mm -hmm. They had the really weird, you know, I know we have uh Wesley in our group, who's a big Z guy, but the Z was really rudderless and, and unchanged for, I don't know, had to be close to 12, 15 years. Uh, they finally did an update to that here in the last 12 months. Nissan's just been a rudderless brand, right? And it wouldn't shock me if a lot of the line ended up going away and being rethought. So the fact that it's only a couple is surprising. Yeah, well, the second one to me was another big surprising because it was also one of those family cars that we had back in the day. And that is the Nissan Murano. Oh, that's the, going away. The Murano they're saying is is about to go away because they're going to take bring in that Aria, the their oh. first uh you know full electric, and it's going to be their first fully automated vehicle. Uh, so they they think they'll get another one. They have one coming in. They don't know when here in Tulsa. They don't know when they'll get another one. But sometime later in twenty three, that's when that that model should be coming in. And they say that that's that the Murano. I mean, think 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 about Nissan. They screwed up a luxury brand. Think about the the way Infinity used to be looked at, and now Infinity is essentially not viewed very well. I mean, you, you go back to the days of the QX fifty six when they released that big SUV, that big square SUV for the first time, you're like, wow, this is amazing. Go back to some of the the luxury sedans when we were growing up or go back to the, the G35 when it first came out. I mean, it had a lot of momentum, but for a very long time, Nissan has struggled with something that I guess small business owners could actually take take a lesson from, which is brand management. You don't know what the hell they do. They just don't seemingly, you know, you know what Toyota is. You know Honda isn't about uh, aesthetics. It's about long-lasting cars. You look at Nissan today and go back to, you know, you're you're a Titan owner. You know, they had a little momentum when the Titan came out and completely lost it. I mean, the redesign was horrible. They, they've just been a brand that in our lifetime we've seen fluctuate, right? You go back to when Maxima was big. You go to when Ultima came out and it was big. They never seemingly can capitalize on things. And, and look, for those that, that that follow sports car market, the the Z family of cars was inexcusable how long that thing looked the same. I mean, that just doesn't happen at that level. And I don't know. Uh, is it a finance issue? Is it this issue? But they took Infinity, and Infinity is not looked at anywhere near what it was 10 years ago. Well, I think the salesman said at least three times about how they're going back to the square body, which you mentioned was what they were so popular in before. And so they are, they are trying to come back and move that to, to have the Murano go away. I just, I just, I was really surprised. So that was part of the reason why, because he said it was be discontinued. So part of the reason why we kind of started not looking at it. And which we ended up going with, which we will get uh, fingers crossed, right? Like, uh, if we can actually get down to that dotted line, but is 
the first three-cylinder engine for Nissan. Never had seen, and I, right? He goes, well, that's, yeah, always you know a, that's always a risk. <laughs> right? He goes, you, you know how many old men come? But trust us. <laughs> they, uh, they argue with me that it's only three cylinders. I go, yeah, I mean, three is such an odd number. Why, why did they go three? You go, well, they did three for a lower, right? Lower gas mileage. Plus they put in a turbo. So they're yep. making up the extra cylinder with a turbo. And I just go, okay. And so then they threw in a lot of other stuff and a lot of that's where we got the, the dash and we can see it down on, on the window. So what, so what is it? It's the rogue. The rogue oh, yeah, is. I forgot that. I forgot that. They are that. moving a lot of their technology, far surpassed the Murano, over ten grand more the Murano, but way inferior in the technology. The rogue now has all the same stuff, lane assistance. It has to where you can just take your hands off five or six seconds. I mean, it, it pretty impressive for the amount of technology in it. The ride though, yeah, sucks. Yeah, I I'm gonna be curious because. You know, look, we've seen this with Ford with the EcoBoost and different cars like that. Everybody just automatically says, we're going to save you fuel by cutting back on the size of the engine, and then we're going to charge it. We're going to turbocharge it. The problem is what that can introduce is a ton of things they never saw from a reliability standpoint. So it'll be interesting to see what you guys experience because, look, they've never done it. There's always a uh, term you don't want to be the first. You know, you want to let them get the bugs worked out, but, you know, go to Ford Raptor, the V8 Ford Raptor, the first one they ever built was the best one they ever built. So, you know, maybe you guys, maybe you guys luck out and this is a, a top tier thing, but yeah, you're going to see engine size come down and, and everything be turbocharged. That's just what manufacturers are doing to, to get the gas mileage where you want it. But I mean, we can't keep beating a dead horse. We'll beat it though for 10 more years. We're in that moment where so many manufacturers are just changing over, right? To to yep. take out to take out the Murano and now go all electric and all, you know, doing everything that they're doing. Like it just you you sitting in the car and you're listening to the guy talk about it. And the Murano has that back reclining seat. So I was just chilling back there and we were in the platinum. It's a really nice vehicle. Yeah. It drives great, feels great, and just go, wow. I'm living in a time and I'm experiencing this and this will be talked about for the rest of our lives. And here we are living in this moment. It, it's just, it's crazy. Yeah. And and the wild thing is, do you suspect Nissan's going to get battery technology? Correct. They've essentially sunk a couple brands here to an all time low. And now all of a sudden I'm expecting them to get this big transition. It's the same thing with Dodge. You know, Dodge is, has, you know, classically been an underfunded company that, now they're going to go all electric. If that shit goes wrong and you own one, you got to imagine that that's going to be a really hellish bill to pay. And uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, I would tell everybody, look, if it's a car you depend on, still get yourself an internal combustion engine and let the electric stuff work itself out. If it's an extra car, you know, what, what, what's the risk, right? You got other cars. It's no big deal. Try the electric thing. All right. So internally and in here at HyperClean, a couple little tweaks and things that we've changed uh, a product that we talked about previously uh, and many people began to ask, Hey, you know, have you made all the updates to revive everything now ready to go? Hey, we're good to go now. And let's, let's talk about yeah. the new updates to revive. Yeah. So we got asked really since the launch of that product, if we could put some UV protection in that product and, and we did. 
And the problem is I'm pretty picky with that product. It's a product we use a lot in my business. I mean, probably the product we use the most in my business along with ceramic coating. And so, you know, when you start to add things to a formula to better it, what happens is it starts to interact with things, right? It starts to interact with scent. It starts to interact with color and those types of things. And so you got to keep your eye on the formula. And here at HyperClean, I don't have a belief system that everything's just done. You know, hey, Marty, we released a product. We never think about it again. I don't think that's a great way to do business. I don't think most of you listening do business that way. I'm sure you update tiny little things to your detailing process every time you detail a car. You add and try to get a little bit better. Hey, I tried this. It worked a little better. And so what we were seeing in my business with Revive are a couple things. You would see tiny bits every now and then on certain screens of it leaving a little bit of a tiny, tiny, tiny streak. I'm not okay with that. So Marty and I went to the drawing board on this and and we figured out how to make a cleaner, more uh, refined revive. Again, on the end user side, you're not going to notice a bunch of difference. You are going to notice we remove the dye. So we have no more dye in the formula. And why'd we do that? Actually, what you find when you start working with dyes, Marty, and I remember the phone call I got from you, when you start working with dyes and you start working with scents, what can happen a lot of times is it can interfere with what you're trying to accomplish. They will start to adversely affect the formula. And what you'll see a lot of companies, they'll just say, hey, no matter what, we want this to smell like this. So who cares if it makes the experience worse? On a product like Revive, that's not an, op that's not an option. I'm not going to have my guys white wipe and black piano trim an extra time every now and then there's no reason for that. And so what we did is we took it and we said, look, we needed to add this UV protection, which we did. And it just had these tiny little side effects that most people didn't even notice, but we did. And we fixed them. Uh, I used on a really tough screen. I used revive last week, the update of formula. And I told you, it's never been this good. It's never finished out this well. It's never. And again, you guys might tell 1% difference, but that 1% matters to me. I think that's what makes, should make us unique. You know, you see all the time, somebody being told about their formula at, at companies and they're like, oh, well, it's no big deal. What well, is a big deal to us? We wanted to add UV protection because so many people asked for it, but we all want to make sure that you get the perfect result. So we have a cleaner scent. It's it's a similar scent. We have a cleaner scent that, that, that we've put into this. We've put very little. So take something that you could smell a ton of. We've taken a lot of that out. Why, Marty? Because you, you at HQ are like, hey, dude, every little thing we add, every time we try to add to this point, things get worse. And you know what? I'd rather get the best results and not have the, the, the most incredible smelling product than get subpar results and have all this scent in my car. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we would talk back and forth with was I was needing to clean glass with it was what I was trying to accomplish with. And it's, so what's interesting about slick, right? It's another one of those products that we really tried to make sure was hit that. What we talk about that 1%, right? Cause you mentioned there's Plenty of other people like they get talked about dust gets attracted to their formula or, hey, it streaks so much. Right. Well, we didn't want that, especially. And could you dial in? Right. There's our favorite word. Dial in an interior cleaning product that is so clean that it will clean glass. Yeah. That's that's a pure product. So, 
we and we really did well on that. You did and, a great you know, job with that for sure. Slick uh, is an interesting product in itself and a cool cool little post and question inside the specialist group from Inflat on that and he was talking about slick on soft tops. You know, can you go in and spray slick on soft tops as a protectant? You and I are both going to agree on this. Uh, absolutely. You know, like uh, yeah. use it as a drying aid. Would you recommend using it dry or only as a drying aid when putting I, it on soft tops? I would do both. I kind of said this in a specialist group, which is one of the important reasons to join that group as we, you know, these things are people are asking questions all the time, right? And everybody's hopping in to help one another. Here's what I've done. I think soft tops, when you and I go back to early 2000s, were horrible. I mean, you never saw a soft top that wasn't damaged. It could have been a Porsche, could have been a Mustang, could have been, it was always damaged. We are I don't now remember how many the, times you'd, you'd go to like oh, get it dude. back and like sometimes oh, they wouldn't horrible. always go and you're like, it's a Mercedes. What the f- just happened? Yeah, like, yeah, that wasn't horrible. me. There's no way. It's horrible. Yeah. Um, I think there's two things I've done with soft tops that people might think is unique. You know, we've taken care of a lot of Bentley GTs, which is a pretty elaborate, you know, one to take care of, but it's a really robust top. I find that a couple things can be true. Number one, I don't love pressure washing soft tops. Okay. The reason is, is I kind of like to use the eye test. Is this top really dirty? So I would be inclined to do something like Eco One more than bathing it in foam wash or cleanse. Again, we're talking about something that's in relatively good shape. If I look at a top and it's, you know, got dirt all over it, whatever, all bets are off. But this is to me, soft tops are a conversation about maintenance more than they're about the protectant. And I get there's all these companies out there that, that, that say, Hey, use this protectant, that protectant, that all sounds great. I've always used my last step product long before I came to HyperClean to finish out the top at the end of the detail. Now I'd spray it into my towel more times than not. I wouldn't just go rough shot and spray everything all over the top. I don't think it's necessary because it's an absorbent thing anyway. So it's going to get some stuff off your towel. You could do light spritzes with slick, but when it comes to soft tops, the one thing people don't talk about, especially with today's tops, it's now just a maintenance issue. As long as they stay clean, you're really not going to have a need for some kind of crazy situation of coating or whatever. I'm not saying that's not a good thing. I just have never had to do it. We get a Bentley GT. We get something like that. I make sure the people know, Hey man, you bought a soft top. It's going to need to be clean. And then we would always take a rinseless solution of something like Eco One and we'd use a towel and we'd wipe it because the other part of it is when you saturate a rag top or a soft top with with pressure washer water, whatever, I always find that I can never really get it dry and assess the situation. Right. So you didn't know how you finished it out. You didn't. Soft tops that are really in tough shape, I understand we all need to use pressure washing. But if you have one that's in reasonable shape, I'd be inclined to, even if you use foam wash on the rest of the car, I would use Eco One on the top and I, would, I wouldn't I would put foam wash all over it. Not because anything bad's going to happen. I'm just telling you what I did. Because then I could assess what's going on with the top in real time. 
what was that really bad soft top back in the day? Was that the Chrysler 200 or something that always had a problem? There was always, and you would see something. Oh, I remember a Mustang. Mustang uh, yeah, Mustangs were too. I mean, those were bad too. But and then you'd see a lot of times they'd have little, you know, oh, <laughs> they'd dude, be rolling was, down. And, just be, <laughs> and then look, I remember having a top, you know, on a real Jeep that I bought. Um, the early soft top Jeeps were terrible. I mean, terrible. They would rip. You try to get them off, they get caught on the rod, they get caught on the middle. I mean, you know, top technology the way it is today, you know, you can actually talk on a cell phone in a soft top. There wasn't a soft top you ever drove back in the day where you could even hear yourself think. And so, yeah, I think it's, again, it's a great question in the group because I haven't thought about it in a long time, but soft top technology really is so robust now that you don't really have to overthink it. Slick will work. Hey, if I'm going to go through and do pressure washing, spray coat would be another one. You need to make sure you rinse it out. You know, disclaimer, rinse it out of the top, but you're already going through the massive pressure washing step. I think largely too much water is used on tops. I, I think that's my piece of advice that unless you have a beat up, beat up top that you need to get it to scrub in, if you got one that's decent, use something like Eco One on that part of the car. Uh, another great uh, question outside of the specialist group was actually your post. And it was a post where you were inspecting a couple of vehicles. So talk to us a little bit about those vehicles. And the question was asked, you know, what is it that you're looking for? We're going to get some other discussion here in a minute about what to look for on a vehicle when the first time you see it. These were kind of special. So give us a little bit because some people yeah. were wanting to know. So uh, an F430 Ferrari and a four, 458 Ferrari at the end of the day, these were bigger projects. I find that I, I kind of find it weird that guys try to, you know, do $2,500 packages over the phone. I know it happens, you know, plus, but these were more restoration conversations. They were value conversations. You know, where are we at? What work should we get done? And these cars need a lot of love. So I'm doing everything. I'm looking through the engine bay. You know, one of the things on any type of car that you're going into restoration, look for oil leaks, you know, look for, look for hose leaks. Is there something underneath the car? Is there something all over the engine? Because remember, once that gets into your hand, somebody can play dumb. They may not have seen those vehicles in six years, but they're going to say, well, it didn't have a leak before you, right? So there's a part of this assessment process where you're protecting yourself. The next thing is it's really easy. Inspect the lower part of the car. If you really want a dummy proof way to look at how bad a shape a car is in, just look across the lower parts of the car. Those are the ones that get hammered, get beat up. You'll see most rock chips, especially on Ferraris. You can look across the front grill and start to see, hey, did somebody just take massive amounts of damage without putting a clear bra on something that's valuable or, you know, what kind of shape it's in? Honestly, now what I'm looking for is I don't have an hour to waste. So every time a project goes over by an hour, it damages my business in a certain way. Meaning me personally, time I can give to hyperclean, whatever it may be, I'm in a much different place where now I'm trying to get down to the hour what I think we have into this car. So the inspection process is very different than let's say a $500 detail. All right. So those were special vehicles, but let's talk through if we're going to bring a customer in, right? They've reached out to us. You and I hold this uh, together as many more people in the industry are moving in and that light bulb is 
is, is hitting them on going, hey, we should have more maintenance inside of what we do, maintaining cars and maintaining the cleanliness of them. Well, whenever that car comes to you, there's something that you're going to do. Same as I do, right? We, we're going to look at that car first. And generally, the first time a maintenance customer comes to us, I am always going to have them pay for a package that's going to get their car up to the spec yeah. in which I want to maintain it at. I don't want them to bring in a car that I just start cleaning it or the team starts cleaning it under the maintenance program. We need to get it, quote unquote, up to shape. Now, if that's a brand new vehicle. Well, then we don't do a much, right? We're going to put down a coating. We'll put down hyperclean dose normally on our maintenance customers. And then we're going to regularly maintain and clean it. But if it's not a brand new vehicle coming into maintenance, we got to look at it. First thing that I look at naturally when I'm walking up to the car, I look at that entry part of where the hood and the grill are kind of meeting and I'll run my eyes over the hood because I want to try and see whether it's a light in a garage, whether it's something that I'm holding, but probably mostly it's the light from the sun. And I want to see what the paint looks like as it's reflected from the sun. I want to check out the amount of quote unquote spider webs or swirl marks or just what is the abrasion? What does that look like on the surface? Doesn't to me matter how bad it is, so to speak. I just want to get my eye on it so I get an idea of it. But the second place I look, which is what you talked about a second ago, I'm going to look at those lower quarter panels. Specifically, I'm going to look behind the rear tire at that very lower part of the panel because, right, and that lower part behind the front to see where the people are, because that is the place that gets the most abuse. So if it's not too bad, then I know that they've done at least something. Right. Yep. They've at least been doing something to keep that area from getting too bad. Yep. What is it you look for, Nick? What you got a car the first time it's coming in? What specific areas are you looking for? Well, exterior, you pretty much hit it. You know, roof, hood, trunk lid, if there's a trunk, those types of places. Interior, dog hair, you know, kids assessing. Those types of things. What do the carpets look like? Do they have mats instead of carpets? Uh, are we looking at a leather interior? But yeah, when, when we're signing up a maintenance client, there's a really specific conversation we have on the phone. This is the price to do regular maintenance. You're not on regular maintenance yet. We got to get the car up to spec, right? We got to get it up to speed to our level. So we need to come assess it. Here's what it normally costs. Let's just use a number. Normally, our first detail cost uh, $249. Uh, that'll get it into shape. If you want to add a coating, if you want to add this, if you want to have that, that's extra, whatever. But honestly, I'd be doing a disservice to all my loyal customers who've been with me 10 years getting a certain price. This guy walking in off the street, why should he get that price? There's been no loyalty. His car hasn't been cared for, all of these different types of things. And we just onboarded a guy now where the exact quote was, you'll never know that I've been driving my car when I get on your maintenance plan. I said, hey, man, that's awesome. Who's been maintaining it? There's no answer. I said, so how is it maintained if there's nobody maintaining it? People just love to think they're clean. We go out, we visit the car. I make sure to meet him there because this car was already a little bit of a problem on the phone with all his stuff. We assess it. It's in bad shape. 
now. It's not, you know, kids thrown up in the car, dog here. It's not that. German brake dust caked on for three, four, five, six months. I mean, just in the wheel cleaning alone, you've seen those cars. I mean, you could have an hour wrapped up into those, right? Just getting them right, getting all the little nooks and crannies to make your life easier and make his experience down the road better. The question with all of this is there's so many people that are doing all of us and all of us on listening to this, me and Marty included, everybody's trying to do everything over the phone. The number one thing I can tell people is this is my price. 249 to do an interior and exterior is our price. We still need to inspect the vehicle when we come out there. Those are the key terms. Somebody can, you know how many people I've had lie about having a dog in their car? I mean, I'm in the thousands at this point in my career. Oh, no, I don't have dog hair. You get out there and it looks like, you know, uh, Fido's been living in the car. We always, and I do this on the phone, we always reserve the right to knock on that door and go the 250, the 350, the 450 doesn't cover this. If you're not willing to do that, you can find yourself, as I have a lot in my career, find yourself in some really sticky situations where all of a sudden a 300 or $400 or $500 job turns into 10 hours, and that's where you lose long-term. Yeah, but there's a little bit of rub around the industry for detailers, and there's plenty of people are going to hear you say that, and they're going to go, yeah, yeah. But then there's some that are going to go, wait, you said 400 bucks. I mean, there's people around here that would never spend that. I, I can't ever, I can't ever charge somebody 400 bucks. They might even say that with the 250 mark, right? Like you could actually put any number there and there'll be some people that go, oh, well, we could never get that here. And there lies a little bit of this rub of how do you quote a car? whether it's for maintenance or it's just somebody saying, Hey, I need a full detail. You go, well, my full detail price is 250 bucks, but there's a lot of people right now going, Oh, well, they won't pay for that. So, you know, I have to discount it down to such and such, or, you know, they tell me the guy down the street is this. And so I, I got to do it for X amount of dollars. There's a little bit of rub people going, "Hmm, I don't know if I can charge X amount of dollars in my area. Nobody knows your area better than you, right? Not two guys on a podcast, one in Tulsa and one. I mean, we don't have the viewpoint on the whole country. I don't know what price points are in every little town and city. That's that's not even fair to ask anybody to have that. I think there's a conversation that we have to have is, you know, somebody in your area is getting a lot of money to work on things. That could be a home, that could be a kitchen, that could be a car mechanic, that could be a welder. Money is being spent in every town. At least we can agree on that point. Somebody in your town is making a lot of money in a service-based business. There is an approach where you have to be realistic on what your market will support, but you also don't need, just because you don't have work, make an excuse that nobody wants to pay for it. Right. And do we think that that's probably some of the issues some companies are starting to run into during the lower economic times is they're starting to go, hey, but as people don't have as much money, I'm not getting as many people to pay for my service because I'm asking X amount of dollars. 
and maybe some of those guys are starting to have some issues. And even maybe some of our listeners are starting to understand that rub of customers not wanting to pay the higher, you know, things that they offer. How do we do a long-term approach to business, to, to quoting cars, to, well, to maintenance, to a lot of times as we think of a car, keeping a car, cleaning a car on a regular basis, well, the price that I've got to spend or take in to do this type of work, there becomes a rub of, well, what does it look long-term, right? Like if I've got a I know long-term I need to make a lot of money if I'm a business, right? I've got to make money. But if I don't have people not wanting to spend the money, how do I think long-term then? Do I start to discount, right? There's a lot of people, oh, just discount, just discount, discount. Yeah, you you also have to realize, man, you're in a sales and marketing business, not a detailing business. You know, Mm -hmm. when I started to do maintenance here, the market was not as high as what we're charging. And I was told a lot of things. Oh, you can't do that. No, it's not. People are only going to pay this. Wasn't true. It wasn't true because the people telling me that weren't out there creating the demand. Right. The whole thing when you're, you know, you've known this and and the same can be true for hyper clean or, or so-and-so's detailing in another state doesn't matter. It's your responsibility to make people see things your way. That's the whole thing of being a business owner. Can you sell people on your way of thinking as a detailer? I want to keep your car at this level. Now, with that being said, if I live in an area that's, that's very, very, you know, lower middle class, am I going to be able to do $25,000 color change, PPF, ceramic coating, you know, caliper painting, wheel change? I mean, that's probably not going to be my bread and butter. But that doesn't mean you don't make a lot of money. I've shared the $50 detailer here locally who made millions of dollars. The, the part of making money in this business is that whatever service you are talking about, is it scalable, meaning you can teach multiple people very easily? The second thing is, do you have lots of people that fit into, they would want their car XYZ service, right? Part of all of this is, and I think you 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 know this, we, we try to take it and say, detailing, detailing, detailing. You are a sales and marketer first as a business owner, and then you're a detailer. So how are you going to sell and market what you're trying to accomplish? If you can't figure that out, then it's not the right service for your area. It's not everyone else's fault. It just doesn't fit into your area. Again, we I shared a post in specialist group today. We we're putting windshield film on a Tesla. If your area doesn't see a Tesla, then Tesla detailing services that I provide may not be relevant, right? That's okay. But what can you sell and market in your area that can make you money long-term? And I don't think anybody ever really tells people to solve problems that way. They just want to talk about being a detailer. Well, the plumber has to answer the same question. What service am I providing that I can go sell and market to the most people to make my business successful? That may be general maintenance. That may be paint correction. I mean, we know a lot of uh, of areas that are lower middle class that those guys do more paint correction than high-end areas. You know that. I mean, from the times that you traveling around, you look at an area and go, damn, all these shops are doing paint correction. You look at the houses, you go, how the hell are they selling so much paint correction? I go back to my start in this business where we were doing a ton of paint correction. You wouldn't believe the places we were doing paint correction. Now I can go to the richest neighborhoods in Los Angeles and nobody's paying for paint correction. So 
it's not about what anybody thinks goes on. It's about what you can assess in your area that you can market and you can sell. There's going to be things that you can sell that I can't and vice versa. So I, I don't think there's a one size fits all on this conversation. Well, we are definitely known for, we will continue to be known for is maintenance. You and I, have, as we say, will continue to believe in it. It's not only just for, you know, business, but it's also for, well, people just, we love the, you know, what we talk about, enjoying your car life, right? Like having your vehicle, enjoying it, loving it, taking care of it. I had a friend recently named Corey who made an order from us. He just bought himself a, a, a new vehicle for him, you know, is a, is a, is a used vehicle, but new to him. And he goes, listen, I, I want to just keep it nice. I want to keep it clean. I want to just touch it up. I want to right? like he wants to maintain the cleanliness of it. Then we also talk to business owners that are inside of the detail world and they're starting to realize, which we said earlier, and we'll say over and over again, the importance of having people that are inside of your business that you maintain the cleanliness of your vehicles. The overall long-term thought process, if I'm, if I'm somebody that's listening to this and while we have plenty of enthusiasts and we have plenty of people that are in car clubs and they they're in car shows and they love that's a big group of people that that are a part of our brand but the majority of you who listen to the episodes are the professionals right so a long-term approach for you the professional here's something that i really really think you should look yourself in the mirror you should sit down and you should really start to think about this long-term approach for you being in business actually is going to be not only maintaining customers' cars, but also helping all the people around you that want to maintain it themselves. And we have to then open the discussion for how do you do that? How do you grow from a one-sided business to having a multiple side of your business to all these people at the car shows that are in the car clubs that are actually looking to do it themselves and maintain their car with some pristine elite chemicals that you, the pro are going to use, but you, the pro could also sell to these people who are looking for the product instead of the service. Yeah. As an industry, we're very hesitant to admit that 95% of car owners are never going to buy from a detailer. We're, We're very hesitant to say that. And like I said, I was involved with a private equity group that was thinking about opening up a huge franchise across the country. I did some consulting work for them, looked at their data. Their data was pretty grim for the detailing industry. They were shocked how few people get their car detailed. That could be a paint correction, ceramic coating, PPF, doesn't matter. The percentage of people that pay a professional detailer is very small in almost any area of the country. That is something you have to admit to yourself, that number one, we're working with 5% of the population in our area, and then our competition is working with that same 5%. So 95% of people aren't just driving around ship boxes that are destroyed, not saying they're in the type of condition we would keep them in, but they're vacuumed out, they're you know, relatively shiny for a car. And again, not to the pro level, I get it. That's fine. But we have this conversation all the time internally with especially distributors, whatever. The the greatest thing that you can do in your business is to assess where there's a weak point in your area. And I can tell you, there's not a city in the United States. 
that doesn't have a weak point in the chemical business. You and I talk to so many people, old guys that are selling spray waxes in parts of this country where you go, Jesus, if this detailer would just bring in some product, everybody would go to his shop. Like they would flock there. They're, they're, they're begging for an expert to be in the room. And so how do I get into business with all of these people? Well, we keep saying it. The professional detailer has so much knowledge on how to care for cars, yet they only capitalize on one side of it. There's a big misunderstanding when we've talked about this before, where I got a phone call or two where people thought, you know, you're telling people to go do business. No, no, I'm telling people to capitalize on their knowledge. Many of you know how to care for cars on an elite level, but you're not talking to anybody about it. You're just talking to these small number of clients that you have to do all this legwork for. Imagine if you talk to hundreds of people in your area that love to take care of their car and they were coming to you to get the chemicals that you carried. That'd be a complete change of pace for what most detailers experience. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to watch this industry go down with the economy and, and, and people be eliminated. And the number one reason they're going to be eliminated is sales, marketing, and diversification. Their business was just too one-sided. And I think the, the news we get, you know, you talk to a shop owner who you shared with me. Yeah, man, we were just doing tons of PPF. It dried up. Well, there's a lot more to do than just PPF. How many coatings were you putting on? Oh, you know, we were doing okay. Not that many, mostly PPF. And now he's going to train coatings. Well, it's like, we, we isn't even doing that. And so I don't believe just in maintenance. I believe in maintenance. I believe in PPF. I believe in paint correction. I believe in coating. I believe in chemical distribution. Why do I believe in all those things? Because together, it's a package for your business to make money long-term. We need to stop saying we're just maintenance. No, I'm not. Paint correction, restoration, whatever skills you can monetize and attract people to your business, you should be doing. But largely, we watch guys not do that. And that's the real shame of it. Yeah. And let's talk about long-term view. Let's have a discussion about that. What does it mean to think about something as not necessarily 2023 is going to explode, but what does it look like to have a 2025, a, a 2030 business that's doing million dollars? Because that's mm, few people can do million dollars. Few people can do half a million. Few people will probably do hundred thousand plus in just detailing. Yep. But the amount of people, and let's go ahead and say in the millions, the amount of millions of people that are around you looking for spray, looking for an answer to their problem. That's 20 to 30 bucks for a spray bottle. There's yeah. probably, probably you, you could literally go down the, as we used to do, right? The phone book, right? You could go through the phone book and see the million, right? Like yeah, millions. I mean, Marty, you, you and I have a, especially you, you have a unique perspective on this. If people knew who everyone in your area was talking to about chemicals, you couldn't buy chemicals fast enough. Say that Some, again, because I don't think that, say that again. Okay. People in your area are going to somebody to talk about chemicals. Whether you think they are or not, they are in every area. We've talked to people in very rural areas. We've talked to people in big cities. People are talking to somebody. The industry standard on that would shock detailers 
the amount of knowledge that that person has who everybody's talking to is what you're saying. Yes, because those people largely think ceramic coating is witchcraft. Those are exact words we've heard. Like we've shared that here. Like, guys, I'm not saying this for any other reason that because the information we're getting is so absurd. We had that we were talking about the, the soft top thing. We had somebody in a major Texas city say to me on a phone call, this, this phone call probably changed my perspective more than any other perspective on chemicals. Nobody in his area would use a ceramic coating. I said, what are they using? Well, they love spray wax here. And we've had the same spray wax for 10 years. I said, interesting. I go into our database and we have like 10 detailers in his area buying ceramic coating directly from us. It just wasn't true. He wanted it to be true. You know why? Because he didn't believe in ceramic. Oh, those don't work. They won't work here. They were working a mile away from where he was. 500 feet from where he was. I don't say this stuff for any other reason than guys, what I've been privy to in the last 24 to 36 months, you know, so much as a detailer that's so leverageable, you can go out and leverage your knowledge, teach car clubs, how to properly wash a car, but you also sell the soap. Think about it. You know how to wash a car. You're just leveraging the knowledge in your area to become the expert. There's going to be plenty of people that don't listen to me or plenty of people that listen to me and think they know what the hell I'm saying. Like some phone calls I've gotten, you don't know what I'm saying because you haven't had access to talk to some of the knuckleheads in areas talking about chemicals. I'm not mad at those people. They're doing what they know how to do. But Marty, the amount of out-of-date knowledge going on in every major city in the chemical business, there's no way you're not surprised by it, correct? Correct. It, it's the more that we've talked to some of those as we've continued, as we say, we continue to grow and expand. And some of these new people that we talk to that are, you know, let's just say, you know, they're a distribution house or, you know, they're probably, as you might see, it was people that I used to talk about and, you know, pay, poke some fun out is the box truck guys, right? Like some of those people are extremely, extremely skilled and talented. They are. And then there's a vast majority of them that they're just doing a job, right? Like, but by the way, those vast majority are moving millions of dollars in product. Like you have a lot of mediocre to low end talented human beings moving chemicals in the millions, hundreds of millions. If you add up the whole network, that's why we're saying what we're saying. It is no other reason. And again, for all those people that think they know, you don't have access to that knowledge. That's why we've been on this block for so long. The more we talk to people that don't carry a ceramic coating and they're the expert in your area is happening to everybody listening. There is not a city immune to this. Los Angeles, San Diego, Miami, it's everywhere. And then every small town in between. So you've, you've mentioned before your greatest, one of your greatest regrets is that you didn't get into chemicals earlier. And we, we have this, this segment to talk about long-term view and, and thinking long-term, because I know that our listeners, they don't want to go out of business this year, but they don't want to go out of business next year. They actually have in their thought process, Oh, hell no, man. I ain't going, no, I'm progressing. I'm going forward. I'm climbing. That's the motto of our group inside of community is to climb, is to grow. 
the next, the next piece for you, then if you're that type of person is to think about all the other parts of your area that we can now begin to interact with hyperclean. So let's have that discussion, right? Let's have that discussion as you, the listener is looking through your areas. Come on, let's have that discussion. Go on to hypercleanstore.com, fill out the contact us form. And let's have a talk of what you see in your area that you can explode for a longer term. Where are some car clubs? What are some people you can talk to? It's the best way to get started. Repurposing your knowledge, stuff you are already doing, you already have the knowledge of, you've already got a great process of, and who can you share it with? Mm-hmm. I was never, I was never taught that. I never thought it. You know, that was my mistake. I never watched what was going on deeply enough around me to kind of put the the Legos together, so to speak. It was a mistake. Because now when I see the people in my local area and other people's, I go, how's this guy selling chemicals? Well, you know how he's selling chemicals? Because nobody else is selling chemicals. I mean, even in Tulsa, you don't have a thousand people in that chemical business. You got a handful. You got a handful. In Vegas, we got less than a handful. Like, guys, if I knew this, I would have, I would have been, I would have had my detailing business, and I would have had a chemical distribution business, and I would have had both of them. And why? Here's the big picture of why. Here's the long term of why oh, is because you're not selected to those five percent of yep. the entire populace of your town. You actually now get to use your mind, all that chess beating, all the excitement of you. Yep. And I went push to a cars to and the coffee over the rest of of the city. Yeah, I went to the car uh, cars and coffee over the weekend for about an hour. Maybe two hundred and fifty cars another 500 or so extra people that didn't bring any car. And every single one of those guys pulled out a detail spray, pulled out a whatever, uh, maybe some of the richer guys, you know, talked about the detailer that who put PPF on their car, but you know, there's 750 people on a Saturday morning that I can talk to about what we do. When do I get that chance as a detailer? When do I get access to 750 people that absolutely positively buy this type of service from, from somebody? Because out of those 750 people, not everybody's buying detailing. Out of those 750 people, they're all buying something chemical-wise. They care about their car enough. Doesn't mean they're us. Doesn't, you know, this is where we all get caught up. It doesn't mean they're going to do the job we would do. But they're also not going to purchase a detail from you anyway. So I'd rather make money with them on my team than out there buying something on Amazon or going to the local parts store or whatever it is. I'd rather be their conduit to a better car solution for them. And again, that's just what you see people doing on the internet. That's all you're seeing hyperclean do. We're just trying to be a better conduit for all of those professionals and DIYers that are trying to do things on a next level. That's all that it is. It's not any more difficult than that, but there's so many people that think there's, I got to do this. I got to do that. You're right, man. You got to do what you feel is right. I think one of the craziest parts though, is I'm watching guys continually and and we have it on the flip side though. We have guys that are taking us ball and they're running with it. We're getting photos just an hour ago of somebody driving around making sales in their area while their shop is robust and they're seeing it. 
So I don't want to sit here and, and, and not give praise to those people, because let me tell you, there's a large number of people that see it, but there should be no reason that we aren't as detailers, which is where you and I come from dominating this chemical business, meaning the distribution of chemicals in our local area. Yeah. All right, man. Great talk. I know there's going to be plenty for people to chew on and absorb. So we'll uh, check in with you next week, man. Have a great week. All right, guys. Talk to you soon. See ya. Hey, community. So as you heard those words, did something inside of you start to go? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's that little bit inside of you starting to really get excited. Hey, now's your chance. Do not wait. Go to hybridcleanstore.com, go fill out the contact us form, and let's have a discussion. For you to have a long-term view of where you're going to be, so starts now. So don't wait. I'm telling you, somebody that has done what you're thinking of, it takes the first moments of going on and making an attempt. Fill out the form. Let's have that discussion and begin to put it into your mind. How will you make this happen? How are you going to do it? You see the car shows. You see the car clubs. You see the amount of cars that are in your area. How can you capitalize and have success? So we want to have the discussion with you. Hey, this is Marshall, and I hope you make it a great day.